uh, I was thinking about the uh, I was thinking about Colonel Henry Blake dying the other day, and I got real sad. It's one of those things. I think about it to cry at auditions. <laughs> I don't want to think about my cats. That just bums me out if I'm thinking about my cats. Henry Blake. I'll think about Henry Blake dying. I'll bump. I'll get get the waterworks welling up a little bit. And everyone looking at each other across from the OR table oh, with you, those sad, goddammit eyes. Yeah. You heard what they, how they did it, right? No. That they didn't tell anybody what was going to happen. They oh. didn't tell anybody what, what was going to happen. They were just filming a scene, and they told Radar. And Radar went in and gave them the line that was all their reaction off the actual Oh, so that was all delivery. real? Yeah, it was first, first take. That's first Emmy, take reaction. Emmy award-winning acting right there. Yeah. Especially from Alda. I remember he's great. His reaction. Yeah. He was, you know, when I think of Alan Alda, I just think the the seduction of Joe Tynan. It's all Alda, all Alda. He's the evil guy. Was he the evil guy on like an early season of West Wing? Am I wrong about that? I don't. Where he I was don't. like an Illuminati character. I don't know. Maybe I kind of dropped out of TV. There was one. There was one. There was one person. Alan Alda. Yeah, there was no, one series where he was it Blacklist. Maybe it was Blacklist where he played like an Illuminati. Guy. I wish like there was some evil. sort of instantaneous information database we could tap into <laughs> that would tell us. of mad we were on renmar over here on coenga like not far from here the old desi lou yes and uh pat and i were in an office together and we were oswald yeah yeah this was like we had there was no internet yet so if you were a writer you sat in your office and you tried to write it was horrible and uh but we would play doom and listen to fucking miles davis and tricky all the time and uh, uh if you needed to look something up like i said there was no internet so you had to go to the research department and you had to fill out a form and then they would go to uh, uh, like a library of pre-recorded stuff. They would dub stuff onto tapes, bring it back like days later, you'd sign for it, watch it and then return it. And it took like five days to do, to find out, like get an episode of Sequest DSV. Wow. <laughs> it was fucking ridiculous. It was ridiculous the amount of time. It was like, so like if you're going to Alpha Centauri and like the time it takes a message to get back to Earth and back to your ship. You know, I just want to fucking find out who directed an episode of Sequest. Isn't it insane? Like, can, th- think about the tools that you could have used in those early seasons of Mad TV. Yeah. The internet. Yeah, it, was, it, would have been, it would have been insane. This, the, idea, the ideas would have been more immediate. You would have had so many ideas immediately. Oh, and you would able have been, to research everything immediately. And you would have been doing pop culture immediately, too. Yeah, well, it's... In it, real time. And it's what happened now. It's what's going on right now. Right. Is everybody is like, uh, uh, writing off everything as it happens, while right. it happens. And then it's gone. I'm going to look you in the face, and I'm going to tell you this. You're one of my favorite comics of all time. You... Blank Apache sitting across the table from me. I think about this joke all the time, and it may have been from fucking Pedro's on uh, Vermont. <laughs> What's white and blue and sucks? The Dash Bus. Dash Bus. And for some reason, that joke, <laughs> the way he did it, and just the night, and like, it was like you were doing a joke for one person, that, and that one person was me. Yeah, okay. Because well, the Dash Bus sucks. Yeah, it certainly does. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I made a difference. And the kitties. I was, I was, I was oh, one of those idiots kids. in the back of Largo screaming for the kitties. Yeah, I can't do the kitties. Anymore. Can't do the kitties anymore? Yeah, a little problematic, I think. Uh-oh. 
Yeah, well, their whole premise was they were horrible, horrible, <laughs> horrible kittens. Yeah, I, yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, if I did it now, I would get. Yeah, it would be horrible. You know, like, cause yeah, they take me out to international waters and do things to me <laughs> if, if I did it now. I'm sure. I'm sure it would happen, and I would never think. I would never dream of doing it now. What would it, happen if I put together these kitten puppets and put them on my hand? Oh and- man, <laughs> all those kittens! I wanted to. I wanted to do a bunch of stuff with them, and then I started taking them to all the shows, and then they were starting to wear out. And I didn't want like, them to wear out. Like a, like a stuffed animal would wear out. Yeah, because they were a thing I bought at a thing. Right. And they were, I was using them all the time. They were starting to wear down a little bit. I'm like, oh, no. So I, I figured, oh, I'll just go back to where I got them. And they probably have a whole bin of them. And I've never seen them again. So I, just, I sort of retired them because I didn't want them to wear out like a pair of familiar jeans. You gotcha. Know? Yeah. So they're gone. They don't exist anymore. No, I have them at home. Oh, you do have them at home. Yeah. Okay. Did you buy them at a swap meet? No, I think like I got. On, I think I got them at a Discover store. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just went in there for some reason to buy a present for somebody's kid, and then I was like, "Oh, look, these little puppets." <laughs> I would like to. I, I always did dumb puppet stuff. I always like dumb puppets. Well, I love the kitties, and you're an amazing comic, and I'm just so. Well, thank you fucking, very much for saying so. I appreciate it. I'm so nice. fucking excited that Blaine is here. One of my favorite. He's an amazing writer. He's written on eight thousand quadrillion shows. It's true. And Every here he word. Is. Okay, so here is the game of the BrandoCast, Mr. Kapatch. Okay. <clears throat> what we're going to do, what I'm going to do, is I'm going to read you the history of a band that you might not know, mm-hmm. maybe you might not like, or you'll definitely have an opinion about this band. Sure. We're just going to read you the Wikipedia researched history from Wikipedia. <laughs> I know. I put reading glasses on. Yeah, I don't even know like, what I look like. You look like Ron Jeremy in a car accident. <laughs> we'll be right back. I mean, it's bad. <laughs> oh, Christ Almighty. Yeah, that's not. Is it? Should I take them off? <laughs> hey, if you need no, I do need them need to him, read. Need them. No, we love it. Yeah. Okay. I'll I feel, take I, them I off feel, when I'm not I reading. I feel bad saying it, but I've. But <laughs> no, I, but I, 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 have a, I've, I have like a ter- form of Tourette's. I've been called Ron Jeremy before. Okay. Since I grew this dumb mustache. All right. I've gotten the. You look like Ron Jeremy's brother, Dave. <laughs> A lot. We saw him, Richard and I, waddling around the rainbow very recently. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's always there. And it's sort of like, who let the homeless guy in the rainbow? Why is he going oh. table to table? Oh, wait. That's I mean, he was it. almost in pajamas the night that we saw him. That's insane. Yeah. Rainbow Room is, is like going to like a, uh, some sort of protected habitat. <laughs> you always see just the most bizarre people. We eat there. <clears throat> we eat there currently. Richard and I. I've been there a and, few times. Yeah, and our friend Amit Zappa. I always, I always feel a little sick the next day. Sure. I always get the hoagie. I always get their Italian you know, sandwich. There's a great sushi place across Sunset from uh, the Rainbow Room. Oh, yeah. It's a really, really good family-owned and always good sushi. Don't anyway, know. I forget what it's called. I haven't been there in 15 Sushi years. on Sunset. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? It's weird that Dukes is gone. I never get over there. It's like I notice stuff that's been gone for 15 years. Hey, that hey, Tower Records is out of business. <laughs> Where'd Tower Records go? It's like, are you kidding me? It was a condo. Yeah, it's like a newspaper. Tiny Nailers. What? Who took it away? Oh God! <laughs> what happened to the gallery? I went to the I went to the uh, uh, the uh, the gallery or the Beverly Center. I went yes. to the Beverly Center with my son. I hadn't been there in. Years and years and years. Right, since the 90s? Yeah, and I thought it used to be, used to be kind of cool, actually. Yeah. And uh, I went back with my kid. It was just the worst. It was the 10 oh, worst. The worst. Remember when we used to go see movies at the Beverly Connection? Yeah. Because that was like one of the only places you could go to see movie? yeah. mm-hmm. movies. Movies. 
And the, then, ga- the Galaxy on La Brea in Hollywood, that theater. Remember that place? Yes. Good Lord. We would go to the uh, the soup plantation and just eat for weeks. <laughs> just pay once and just not not move until we were full of salad and pudding. Nineties Los Angeles. It was yeah. it was a lot of fun. It was. It really was. It was a good place. It was. It was uh, th- that night naive nihilism before nine eleven. <laughs> All right. So here's the game of the Brando cast. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you the Wikipedia research to history of a band that you might not know. Do I yell it out when I know it? You you might, if you, whatever your move to do, whatever your move to do, whatever your move to do. Do you know it from the, the intro drums? Hmm. I brought some visual aids for you later. Anything? Ah, <laughs> and so, I'm so close. <laughs> Throw it out. <laughs> when, when the chorus comes, you're gonna know. I think you're gonna know. I, it, I feel bad that I don't know this. That's all right. This is Brian Pesain music. <laughs> it's uh, I, I know it. Win the big stuff toy for your kid. It's just one guess. One guess per dollar. <laughs> I was, you know, when it started, I was gonna say the James Gang. But man, now I'm just, but now I'm thrown by why? How is this tied to the James Gang? <laughs> it's, is it? Uh, it's not Def Leppard. No, it's but not the close. D- it's not. Uh, uh, it's not Dio. Close. You're in the same milieu. It's not. Uh, is it Blackmore? Is it Accept? <laughs> it's close. It, uh, 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 A band that's toured with both of those entities. Is it? Uh, uh, is it <laughs> Gordon Lightfoot? <laughs> Is it priest? It's not priest. Is close it? to priest. Is it Iron Maiden? You're cl- so close. They've oh toured with God. Iron Maiden. Blaine Capash, you are listening to Saxon. Oh my God! Of course, I'm listening to Saxon. I was gonna start going to going on the Manowar branch. Manowar and King Diamond. I thought maybe King. Di- yeah, all right. Uh, yeah, there it is. I'm showing him a picture of an album cover. Saxon is an Jesus. English heavy metal band formed in 1977 as wow. one of the leaders of the new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah, Saxon the, spent the 80s. Oh, oh, yeah, the new wave of British heavy metal. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, they, they, <laughs> were they like a, that? Wasn't the C86? Was it? That was a different thing. Was it? Was, I think so. The new wave of British heavy metal was a thing, and they spent the 80s establishing themselves as one of Europe's greatest metal acts. They have influenced a ton of metal bands, including Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Overkill, Pantera, Anthrax, Dokken, and Motley Crue. Saxon, very British. Yeah, very, very Blaine British. Kapatch. I feel bad that I didn't know this. So you've forgotten about your Saxon period. You're, you, I know you must have had a very heavy period where you just wanted to look like the guys in Saxon and walk like the guys in Saxon. Uh, when I was, when I li- I grew up in Dallastown, Pennsylvania. It was a suburb of York, PA. I, I'm from Pittsburgh. Okay, so you you know how Pennsylvania is. Yes, it's I do. Very, very metal. Yeah, and uh, York, PA is like a rivet on a belt. 
<laughs> and uh, it was so metal. And I worked at a record store in the York Mall called Listening Booth. Do you remember Fuck Listening yeah. Booth? I don't know Listening because we only had National Record Mart and Peaches in Pittsburgh. Okay. Well, it, it was sort of like a, it was whatever, Licorice Pizza, Waxy Maxi. Yeah. It, was your, it was your that kind of record store. Right. And when I was working there, this must have been 80, 81, 82, 83. Fuck yeah. And, uh, and there was so much of this, this stuff, King Diamond and so much metal in the back. We had a guy that sold guitars in the back, like metal du- guitars. And he had like just ringlets and wore spandex all the time. And he was in a band called, I, I shouldn't say it. He's in a band called Cry Tough. And they, <laughs> That's a and, great metal and name were, for the yeah, 80s. Yeah, T-U-F-F. And, yeah. they, and they, had a tattoo, they had a tattoo of a broken heart with a tear coming out of it. Oh, fuck yeah. It was, it was, so, it was so metal. And then they, uh, they, had, they were at war with another York band called Killer Hit. <laughs> Which was one, one word, and they like they would get into rumbles and shit, and they really hated each other. But they were both like super cool. They were like really good, good metal bands. Wait, cry tough, cry tough. hated, killer, killer hit, killer hit, yeah, killer hit, killer one word, killer hit. Okay, killer hit. Did yeah. they have a font? Did killer hit create I, I'm sure a font they, I'm for sure themselves? They had some sort of thing that you know with like notebook lines behind it or whatever. Cry Tough, I thought, I think had a following and stuff. And I feel bad. I don't, I don't mean to disparage these guys. No, no they were, lo- they no. were like local heroes. Very, uh, very great I, bands. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in local hero metal bands. Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially was, in places like York, PA. We and, need them. And they had like an Oasis blur thing going on where people would get like hit with, <laughs> I don't know if they were getting like into actual fights or whatever, but uh, it was like they, there was just a war going on. It was great. So would either band be... Cry Tough would win the Battle of the Bands. Killer Hit would win Battle of the Bands. Would he just bounce back and forth? Yeah, I don't think there would. I don't think it. Would, I don't think it would go to the movie. Would get greenlit. Maybe do a treatment where they go to a bat. They do, but both just seem like two different things. But that being said, York was the kind of place where you could go to listening booth, and we had Saxon and King Diamond. And fucking all the all the maiden and all yeah. the the EPs yeah. and the twelve inches, all yeah. the import stuff. I love it. And I mean, and, and uh, uh, that of course changed when the store that I worked at got a little more corporate. But gotcha, gotcha. I was there when there were still forty fives before there were CDs. Do you think either of those bands that you mentioned influenced live York PA's finest ah! band? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you know uh, they used to play at my friend Leonard's club. Who live? Yeah, live. Fuck yeah. They were called uh, 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 at a club called Big City that my friend Leonard had, and uh, uh, they were called uh, Public Affection. <laughs> Before they were live, it's called Public Affection. That's Richard, wow. who used to be a music manager, shaking his head. Yeah, Richard, but they, you're given a pa- you're given a package from Public Affection. <laughs> nope. Yeah, we called him Pubic Infection because it was funny. Yeah. Of course, of course, because you do. Because right. of, of course. course, that I would listen to. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I listen to them, totally listen to that. But that that being said, they played the club and they were like they were teenagers yeah and they were they were very very good and they were pro level band so 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 good for them and then they changed their name and they they got huge so and they made it yeah good for them this gentleman over here he just saw them at the uh the whiskey they were at the or no the roxy not too long ago live in bush live in bush wow playing together yeah holy shit yeah 
Yeah, I only know the. I, I don't even know that. <laughs> and again, I like I said, before, like I said before the show, I don't like to. I don't want to disparage anyone. I try to stay positive, and I, I like try, that. Try to see the, the no, as well, like, like me I, too. Like I said, they were. It's like a pubic infection, but it's like hey, they're on stage. Well, they're, when you're teenagers, playing, playing that's what we do as yeah. teenagers. We make up. We we take your dumb name and we 30s. spin it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I was like, I was 20, I think. Well, oh, my friend! Oh, my friend Leonard, who owned that club, yes. is the guy that talked me into going on stage for the first time. To he like Blaine, I think in. you're funny. I think you should get up He's, and like yeah, do some we stuff. Would, we would go to uh, we go to Baltimore all the time because holy shit, because we were close enough to go there, and it was the only big city that where there's anything going on. And we just go down there and hang out. And we found a comedy club, and we went to a show. Say, hey, let's check this out. We went to a show, and it was a uh, 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 the headline. It was. A local MC named Bill McCuddy. The middle was Jonathan Katz, and the headliner was Rita Rudner. I was always a stand-up fan. Wow! But then uh, they said uh, it was a great show. It was like '85, so this is like peak of the boom. And uh, uh, and then they had an open mic, and we're driving back, and he's like, "You should go up. You do that Scooby Doo thing, and think about Wild Kingdom, and talk about how skinny you are and stuff." <laughs> he talked me into going up, and I did the open mic, and I. Six months later, I was pro. May I ask what your Scooby-Doo thing was? Uh, you know, I can't remember what my Scooby-Doo... I think it was like a... Shaggy, uh, like talking about yeah, something current? Yeah, uh, Scooby, get out of that monster's mouth. I remember that line. But it was much funnier <laughs> than that. I had a Wild Kingdom thing that was pretty funny. What was the Wild Kingdom uh, thing? While I watch the safety of the armored half-track, Jim will attempt to subdue the gorilla and get him into the net. <laughs> That was the other thing. There there was, and then I think I closed with Andy Rooney trying to pick up chicks at the block. <laughs> well, yeah. Cut I to ki- now. I killed cut with, to now. You're sitting here with yeah. me. You made it. I killed with it. Yeah. Straight to the top, Ma. Straight to the top. <laughs> to rocket sled. <laughs> we have negative seat. Go for throttle up. <laughs> now, my Saxon story, I, there, there's a part of the reason. Saxon I, story. My Saxon story is Sorry, this. Sorry, I didn't mean to babble about all that I stuff. Want, that's all I want. That's okay. all I want you to do. Anyway, when I was You're six, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I was, we went to Hershey park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You know oh. what I'm talking about. Well, I'm from Pittsburgh, but yeah. divorce, uh, in 1980 took, uh, my, my mom took me and my three brothers or two brothers. I only have two, not three, two to Albuquerque, New Mexico. So oh. I get to Albuquerque, New Mexico in the summer of 1980 <clears throat> in New Mexico is metal. You were saying that York is a rivet mm-hmm. on the belt. New mm-hmm. Mexico is the belt. It's the fucking buckle. <laughs> it is the whole deal. Because New Mexico culture, it's sort of like burnout whites, burnout New Mexicans, and our Native American brothers, and they fucking love metal. So our yeah, radio stations... Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Our, like, KLOS... 94 Rock and Rock 108, they would play Clapton, Billy Joel, The Who, and then they would go straight to Saxon, Judas Priest, Dio, Ozzy, the whole thing. So, And it was very, very easy to go to concerts because every show was on the state fairgrounds right in the middle of Albuquerque, Tingley Coliseum, and Saxon came every fucking year. And fucking New Mexico loves Saxon. Yeah. Did Venom play with those guys? No. 
I think Venom. I remember when Venom came out because were we, they were we, they like a war band? Was it a Blur Oasis with them? And no, uh, Saxon was part was very much under the umbrella of like it was really called the new wave of British metal. Yeah, and they were lumped in with Def Leppard and Iron Maiden. I mean, they were just super British bands. See, that's what threw that me left when their you, identity when when you said that I was getting close because like that stuff. When I think of Def Leppard, they went so pop. They and did not in a bad way, but they went a lot more a lot poppier. Right, and so I was trying to think of metal that was like you know warrant <laughs> but when, when Def Leppard started they were more in that sort of power you know UFO inspired yeah, yeah. True, true, true. doing all that stuff so and they Young would fire all those and the first time I saw Saxon they opened up for Iron Maiden in New Mexico on the 1983 Peace of Mind tour not to nerd out on facts well let's just jump back into it oh yeah alright this is Wheels of Steel <laughs> originally named Son of a Bitch Saxon changed their name uh, shortly afterwards because Son of a Bitch is kind of a dumb name. The original lineup included Biff Byford on vocals, Paul Quinn and Graham Oliver on guitars, Steve Dawson on bass, and uh, Pete Gill on drums. They started out by opening for more established bands like Motorhead, but quickly gained a reputation for being a fucking amazing live band. In 1979, the band signed to uh, the French record label Carrere, and released their debut album, debut, 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 debut. Good Lord, I'm not high, people. They released their debut album simply titled Saxon. In 1980, the band released Wheels of Steel, which charted at number five in the UK, and it spawned two hit singles. The title track, Wheels of Steel, of course, and the crowd favorite, 747 Strangers in the Night. The album quickly provided the band with success, and they began a series of long-lasting tours around Europe. This is a big song for me, Wheels of Steel. Now, when when they had hits in in England, were they sharing? This was what back in 80, 81? 80. Were they sharing the 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 charts with like the Human League? Yes. And and yeah. and Talking Heads. Yes. And stuff like that. It's, it's, an, it's insane that it would they would run that gamut because nowadays you would just have a specific channel for a specific sound. Well, also, like if you watch like old videos of Top of the Pops, not to get into nerd music talk, but like uh, is this whole podcast nerd music talk? Yes, I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're completely inside nerd music talk. Okay, well, they, uh, on Top of the Pops, you would have bands would pull rock bands would play, and then those British one hit bands lost to the, like the. Sig Sig Sputnik and uh, Kaja Goo Goo. Love Missile. You could be you could be competing against those bands for the number one. I think it was easy to have a number one hit in the UK. Well, it's, there was it was a, a wasn't it a population thing? There's that to to get a number one, you only have to have X amount of people buy it in England, and the population is much smaller than the United States. Yes, so it was easier to get a number one. If you get like a lot of local heat, you sell records and. And then you just tour those little British towns. Yeah, but it sounds like a lot more fun than over here. Oh, over here Not sucks. Not that I'm down on over here, but it's it's over here. It's it's a it's a lot of work and it gets drinky. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's, it's a young man's game. Fundamentally, it's harder to break a band in the U.S. too because it's such a large country that the touring is expensive. Yeah. for young bands and in England, they could just go town to town to town. Just ride a van. Yeah, yeah it's like you could do three shows in a night in England. And, and over here, it's like you can't get from Austin to Houston without you know, stopping for a, <laughs> getting a hotel. Yeah. Well, you know, I remember when 
I lightly, I dip I'm my toe. I'm probably wrong about that, but you know what? You get yeah, the fact I, that America no, I do. is huge. Yeah. America is huge. America's huge. You know, I, I dip my toe in stand-up back in the 90s because I was rep at Gersh, and I'd been doing a one-man show that was like, getting attention so i would do every once in a while did I would you do, do that defending the caveman <laughs> was that you that was me oh my god yeah, I took that on tour wow rob becker <laughs> i thought you were ron jeremy <laughs> <laughs> but i was always amazed that you guys like you and paul Tompkins and pat oswald and greg Barron and karen that you guys would it wasn't you wouldn't just do largo then you would drive to the ice house or you would drive to some place in Westwood. Like you guys were doing like yeah, three do. places a night driving all over the city. And I remember thinking like in the nineties, like, well, I can't do that because these people are like, I don't want to like doing Largo once a month. That's great. But no, that's not the ethos. You got to like no. drive around the city. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't go up nearly as much as I should, but I used to go up every night. I went up oh, every night for, uh, for years. I, I went saw, up every night. That's what I went up. For I, years. In the nineties, I, I saw you, I saw you hundreds of times. I swear to God, because you went up every night. Yeah. I haven't written. I was like, cool places. Yeah. I loved it. I have, I have no, no complaints. I, I love, uh, 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 the fact that I've been able to do all these shows and was able to, to do all this cool stuff. And uh, I wish I could do more now than I do, but it's so tiring. I have a kid, right? And it's like I just—I need to well, I just need to stay home you also, when everybody else. We is can't drive home. around the city anymore. Well, because of those goddamn lime scooters. <laughs> it's those lime scooters. Those goddamn lime. It's those goddamn lime scooters. I'm gonna get Eddie Pepitone on it. I'm going to yell at Eddie Pepitone about lime scooters. <laughs> what do you think about the current scene at the comedy store? You know what? I, I don't go to the store too much. I was at the Improv last night. This is weird. I was at the Improv last night, and I was doing a show called Storyworthy. They do a live Christine thing. Blackburn Christine show. Blackburn mm-hmm. show. It's mm-hmm. very fun. Check it out, please. Yeah. And uh, uh, I was hanging out at the bar after the show, talking to some friends I hadn't seen in a while. And it was 9 o'clock, 9.30, and I'm like, this place should be packed. It's Saturday night at the Improv. And I mean, not packed like lying out the block or down the block or anything, but there should be people here. Yeah. And it was mostly just comics, people hanging out. And uh, and I said something to somebody, and they said, "Yeah, everybody's over at the comedy store." It's 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 a cyclical thing. It was it was the store when I started, and I came out here mm-hmm. the first time in like spring of '86. That was yeah. the cool place to be in the spring yeah. of '86. Yeah. The comedy store was the place to be, and the improv too. But I okay. went to the I went to the, the comedy store in '86. I think it was in wow. February. Wow. And uh, guess who I asked? Guess who I saw? I'll give you three guesses. Who did you see? Three top comics. Name them: uh, Robin Just, Williams, uh, David Letterman, uh, Jay Leno. Gary Shandling. Okay. Gary Shandling goes up and the ne- he's working wow. out the set for his monologue. The next night, he's doing his very first guest host of The Tonight Show. Jeez. Holy so, shit. And he's up there with a the yellow pad. Oh, so he was doing the, the Tonight Show monologue. The next night. Right. And he was working it out that there. night. He oh, told shit. Hey, everybody, I'm going to wear the other thing. And it was like, the place is packed. Like, fucking packed. Wow. And, uh, but, like, and then... Ten years ago, you would go there and it would be just tumbleweeds and, you know, a dusty player piano in the corner and, you know, some crazy guy. Oh, let me tell you what, what, what happened. Carving a piece of soap. But the, uh, and now that's where everybody is again. It's, wow. It just, the, this, it's this pendulum of comedy. People just go to different holes. Did they do anything specifically to get people to come back or? New I, management. 
Yeah, new management. Is it I new th- management? I think they just. They, I think they just made it. Uh, I think they just tweaked it, made it better, tightened it up. Everybody says it's it's fantastic. I love it. People are raving about it. So wow, that's great. It's great for comedy. What about the Laugh Factory? What's that place like now? Uh, I think the Laugh Factory is sort of in stasis. Mm-hmm. It's like it always was. Right. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever well, was. Jamie's Same still in charge there. Right. Yes. It's never changed. Yes. What do you do? You remember the first? What was the first big room then that you did officially? Do you remember that? Well, I did the uh, I did the improv in that spring. Did you have to audition for Bud Friedman to to get up? Yes, uh-huh. I've done evening at the improv. And okay, it was it was nice. It was fun. Okay, uh, and Bud liked me. I used to do the improv back east in New York. Okay, uh, back in the eighties and stuff. Awesome. So, and then of course that's gone, but. Uh, I've done. I did the comedy store a lot. Not certainly not as much as I as I as I should have, and I'd love to do it again. It sounds like a lot of fun now. But I think of you. To the me, place is haunted though. You are. You are. To me, one of the pillars of the alt comedy scene in L.A., especially in the '90s, and the, the heart of that being Largo. Yeah, oh, I mean yeah, that's yeah. that's sort of I, that's where I've definitely seen you the most. But I remember going to, like I said, Pedro's on Vermont, like the early pieces yeah, of that was scene Largo. and the Onyx across mm. the street would have comedy. The Onyx. Right? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know I don't even know what space that is now. It's where I, I it's can't the, even the Figaro it's uh, oh Squaresville is there now. Or the Figaro. That, no, I think Figaro you're right. or I think it's Squaresville. That's right. Yeah. It was a coffee shop. No, because it was because Squaresville is on is on the corner. Sorry to get all local. I love it. No, we we stay local. Fuck yeah. the, everyone who doesn't live in LA. Whoa, whoa, keep up whoa, keep up whoa, with the whoa. keep up. Google the references. This local reference brought to you by John <laughs> Supermarket. When it's not quite a Vaughn. It's a John's John's supermarket. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think the Figaro, which is that French cafe with yeah. the chairs out front, that's where the Onyx was. That's where and the that Onyx was. That was an was. art space with like high ceilings and right. shit on the walls. Okay. And then it moved across the street to Pedro's, which is now a weird sports bar. Yes. That place is haunted too. I've heard ghost stories about that place. For real? Yeah, for reals. And then, uh, and oh. then it moved to Largo, and it was, and you saw it at Largo. It, yeah, it, I was it, there it, the night that. Um, Josh DiDonato, because I actually did Largo. I remember, yeah. Lisa Langang would actually, I would do Br- uh, Greg Barron's Bring the Rock a lot. Oh. And I remember, I was there the night that Josh DiDonato ran down Fairfax with the cash box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He was, he was mad at Flanagan Jesus, that for stealing guy. his baby. But it got handed <laughs> off, the show got handed off from Josh to Lisa, and Lisa turned the Largo into what it was. Of course. And then, and then it, it became... This I was thinking about driving down here for not not because I was thinking about this show, yeah, but for a completely different reason. Just how how it was like being the there were these insane musicians and these brilliant comedians, yeah, and it was this cross pollination and the crowd was there and everybody was on the same frequency and I was like this is like situationist France mm-hmm. this is wow. like everybody's yeah. kind of plugged into this thing and we knew it was gonna. I had a conversation with Greg. I shouldn't say I should say it. Uh, uh, we can cut it. Uh, I had this. Greg and I were in the back one night, and it was really just bubbling. It was really a beautiful night. And it was all happening, and and we and Greg looked at me and he said, uh, uh, "How do you think this is going to end?" Mm. And, you and mean I the kn- scene? Yeah, and I knew exactly oh, what he meant. I knew exactly oh, what he no, meant. Yeah, because it was like it it it. Uh, it it had to peak and it had to sort of right. splinter whatever happened to it. Right. Everybody just kind of got done with it and it got used out and everybody took off. Right. Um, 
but yeah, it was it was one of those things where it's like, oh, this is so good, it's got to end. It's right. so good, it has to end. Right. Well, there was some there were some relationships that happened in that scene. Yeah, there were some de- big development deals, and but it was it, it was it. But yeah, you're right. It had to come to an end. Yeah, it did. I and remember it, when it, it was. It, it was. It's still Largo is still fantastic. Yeah, it's and it and it leveled up. You know, it's like a theater space, and the people that go in there, are, it's it's all a a plus across the. Board. But I, I have a theory that Flanagan should reopen Largo original and reopen that scene. It just. Because the theater, it is different. The theater's it's a, a different. different exp- it's a different it experience. Is, it is a different experience. Turn your phones off, or we'll fucking kill you. He yeah, that little speech well, I'm, before I'm, the. I'm, he, I'm with the phone thing. Oh, you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, but but uh, he should open a two thousand square foot room with a I, small bar. I totally get that, and it, people would flock to it. Yeah, they just would. I think. Yeah, they would because I mean he has he's he's a great curator. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, 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 and the the level of talent that comes through there is always you know impeccable. It's yeah. insane. And I'm not saying I, I love Flanagan. I mean, he's got Marty Feldman's Dune buggy for fuck's sake. He's a he's wait 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 time out. He has Marty Feldman's old house. Yeah, he was friends with Marty Feldman, and he right. has Marty Feldman's Dune buggy. Marty Feldman it's, had a Dune buggy. Yeah, like it a was, workable. It was like a take man, it out in the dunes, dark blue Manx. What? But it was all tricked out with old timey square upright windshield and. And brass headlamps. What? Yeah, it was, it was the fucking best. I managed that estate. You did? Yeah. Yeah. Richard Sheltinga, what? Yeah. I you was, managed that estate? Yeah. So you know about the Doom Buggy? Yeah, I was friend with, friends with Loretta Feldman. That's how I met Yeah, Feldman. Loretta would hang out in the back of Largo all yeah. the time. It was, and smoke cigarettes yeah. and tell stories, darling. Yeah. That's Marty that Feldman's wife? Marty yeah, Feldman's yeah, yeah, wife. Yeah. She was the best. Wow. Holy yeah, she's shit. Fantastic. She's fantastic. Paul, Paul Tompkins and, and, uh, uh, and Loretta were fantastic friends. Yeah. And it just it was it was such a uh, it was fantastic. She was like, she was like, I, I felt like she was waiting for Hercule Poirot to show up. Yes, <laughs> like I was wait, on wait. The, like I, I was on like I was on the Orient Express when I was talking with her. She was like, yes, just wow, just that weird turn of the century elegance. Just, yes, yeah, she was something else. And, and always had it. Does the Doom buggy work? Fuck yeah, he would drive it to Largo. Be par- <laughs> be parked for real? Back. Yeah, we'd we'd be smoking out back, looking at that. And I would, the whole time I'd be like, "This fucking Marty Feldman's Doom buggy." But there was the whole time I was starstruck by this Doom buggy. Oh. oh yeah, Albuquerque music to me. Strong Armor of the Law was also released in 1980, charting at number 11 in the UK. It is considered by many fans to be Saxon's best album. And it helped to keep Saxon's popularity increasing. Two singles were released from this album. The title track, of course, and Dallas 1 p.m., which is a song about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, my God. What? When? What? What are you talking about? Sorry, I've been offline for a couple of weeks. I was in a cabin working on my spec. Dallas 1 p.m. Oh, Jesus. It's <laughs> a song... About the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Uh, say it ain't so. They had to. You got it. You, you know, you, when you look when you're a metal band and you're looking for stuff to write on, and Dio has the the market cornered on dragons and kings and wizards and Satan and stuff. And Ozzy is kind of talking about partying and rock. And where are you gonna go? The assassination of JFK. It's sitting right there. You two's gonna <laughs> sing about Martin Luther King. Why don't we take a stab at? Uh, 
<laughs> the president. This next song is called Chutescu. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I are taking out back. <laughs> I could see Saxon doing a Chutescu song. Chutescu. <laughs> Don't say it three times or he'll appear. <laughs> Don't look in the mirrors. Don't look in the mirrors. <laughs> Sold out tours of Europe and the UK followed these as guys were strong tour, touring monsters. All these <laughs> yes, bands that were. you're talking yes. about were tour monsters. Yes. They, they, they were did, on a they, bus always. They never stopped touring, ever, ever, ever. The band also gained huge success in Japan, where the single Motorcycle Man stayed in the charts for six man. months. <laughs> <laughs> six months in the charts. Yes. In Japan. Motorcycle Man. Now, do you think, do you think that these guys in Saxon, do you think that they, got, they made a lot of money? God, that is that is. I mean, because that cause is if you're touring, the million dollar question. If you're touring and you're and you're making uh, and you're and you're you're playing in Japan where you're huge, like fucking cheap trick or something. Yes. Then you're making you're making bank over there if you do a. But it's expensive there. to get over there. This person sitting here to my left, Richard Sheltinga, music manager, knows the deal. Put your music manager hat on, Richard, and tell me, do you think Saxon was generating true giant income in the 80s? Absolutely not. <laughs> do, you think they had, do you think it was bad management, or do you think it was just the nature of the beast? No, I, I think it was probably just the nature of the, the beast. I, I mean, They I were huge, imagine. but they were, in a, they were niche huge. Niche huge. Right. And, and they were probably paying... 25% in commissions because that's what those bands did back then. I saw, now I saw Saxon a couple times open up for bands at Tingley Coliseum in Albuquerque. Then they like came the ting back. T- t- <laughs> <laughs> like the Like the Tink Tings. The Tink Tings. The Tink Tings. Uh, cardigans. <laughs> and Saxon never, you know, the bands that really made money were the bands who, who broke in America. And Saxon never broke in they America. They did not. No, they did not. They did not. And, Even though they were huge in Albuquerque, and, they were not huge any, and really anywhere else. that's where the real money is. Right, because they didn't have that, they didn't have a round and round they didn't have uh, home was, sweet home that was fucking awesome yeah. Yeah. that was awesome <laughs> sorry they were and then enough's enough i thought was i thought was standing, <laughs> right standing, standing on rat's shoulders and then and then that all stopped when the nirvana thing happened well that that also killed saxon i mean i'll get into that in, in a little bit but oh, it was good. it was good, niche good. it was niche 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 but i i also they came back to albuquerque because they were so popular there and they played at the skate ranch okay so i don't you know the tickets were probably 15 bucks there were probably a thousand kids at the skate ranch, so do the math. So what's that? Twelve million dollars? <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, then, then they take like what twenty five bucks for the commissions. So here's a side thing about seeing a show without getting a ticket. Yeah, I went to see Beck the Greek. Oh, and oh. it must have been. I think it was the Midnight Vultures tour. I was so, there. Yeah, I, I was there. You were there. I was there. So you'll remember this. There was one point where he stops, he's talking to the crowd, and he says, hey, I remember I used to come see shows at the Greek all the time, and uh, but I could never afford to get in, and I would watch it from the woods behind the fence. Is, is there anybody watching the show from behind the fence? Make some noise. And the woods behind everybody go, ah. I think it was I, the creepiest, most delightful thing. I think I've told that up. story on this podcast. It was amazing, wasn't it? It was haunting. It really because was it beautiful. sounded like there were a thousand kids yeah. in the trees. Yeah, it and was, if they wanted to attack us yeah. and conquer the Greek theater, they yeah. could have. Back I fans. Started, yeah. 
but they were like, I mean, he was right though. I yeah, mean, that's like I that's used to a, watch it from the trees, like make some noise in the trees. Wow. It was it was it chilling. Was, I started laughing. It yeah. was so cool. Awesome. Yeah, it was really I, cool. I, I, that's one of those moments I will never forget because yeah. it was so because I know where those trails are. Yeah, and you can't really see people. Yeah, that was the coolest thing. It yeah. really was. Nice job. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, that was Here the takeaway from that. I don't remember another song from that show that night. He did Asshole. He took a request and somebody, he goes, I'll take any requests. And then uh, somebody yelled Asshole. He goes, uh, I heard Asshole. I hope that's a request. <laughs> <laughs> Beck is awesome. Beck would come in and do shows at Largo. Yep. I, yeah. And yeah. it was like the, and the John Bryan show. Yeah. Right. Would he, do, would he do a set too? Would he get up and do his seven minutes? That no. he was preparing? No, he wouldn't. You know what? Uh, uh, I think the, the one time his I... His set for Montreal. He, yeah, he was, he's working on his Conan thing. He, uh, uh, he went up one night with Beth Wharton, and they would just do songs back and forth. Jesus. Wow. Great. Do you know what? I, went, I did a, a John Daly show at the Satellite, which used to be Spaceland. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, Noel. Uh, and I used to go to Spaceland all the time. We yep. would play there and stuff. But it was uh, do, doing a proper set there, and like Kindler was there and Mary Lynn. Right. But it was uh, there was a crowd there. Everybody's into it. Quiet. Smells like beer a little bit. It was like, all oh, right, comedy. Spaceline was an amazing place. It was really, really cool. Yeah. How is the satellite now? I haven't been there since it. I haven't Line. seen a band there. Okay. It was the first time I've been there since it was the satellite, actually, which dates me. Right. But I used to go to Spaceline constantly. Yeah, that was another place. Like Elliot Smith at Spaceland. That was like, and then to see like the other luminaries come out to watch those bands and spaces like that. Like yeah. the night that Elliot Smith played Spaceland, it was like mm. a who's who of LA cool people. Influencers before there was such a thing as influencers. He says this, he puts on his Ron Jeremy glasses. Like <laughs> 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 Mine as well. I'm going to read. I can't, I've gotten to the point where I, I can't see anymore. It's really oh, yeah. crazy. I have, I have, uh, I have, I'm supposed to have lenses. These are regular old lenses, but I, I got bifocals or gradual graduated lenses, whatever they're called. And uh, and I tried them and they just they said, fuck it. You just but said, now fuck I have to it. take my glasses. I usually have, would have my glasses off right now. I, I live my whole life without needing any kind of glasses at and all. all. And all of a sudden like, you do. Bang. Yep. And, and I'm also struggling reading. Soon you'll be dead. <laughs> That's how it works. It's all a long, long descent. It's just falling. It's just falling. I try to enjoy the falling. I'm, I'm, all, I'm also addicted to junk food now. Like, Why not? Uh, <laughs> I've eaten a McDo- I ate a McDonald's twice in one day last week. Dude, I could go Pollo Loco and Del Taco in the same day. Jesus. Like, like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, well I have a, the metabolism of a hummingbird, so it's like yeah, it burns off, but I but I freaking nature. But I'm also in my 50s and my cholesterol is bad, so I have to watch it. But I'm in my 50s too and all of a sudden like I've never had a craving for junk food. Now like I'm it. driving around like, "Oh, there's a fucking jack in the box." Yeah. I wonder what the new fucking thing tastes like. I got to get that Popeye's uh, chicken sandwich. I'm going to wait. I know. I'm going to wait until there's no crowds. Because all I read is like how there's there's no chicken sandwiches. There's there's ne- there's never a crowd at the Popeye's on Verdugo and Hollywood Way. Okay. It, it, it might all mean right. a little bit of a field trip. I was actually but Googling <laughs> the Popeye's locations. I'm like, oh, man, this is the most internet thing in the world. It's like, is the dress gold or blue? Is, what is it a bird or a bunny? Oh, jeez. 
Uh, truly, yeah, I, 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 I gotta I, jump on that shit really bad. <laughs> what are I mean, you guys I love, talking about? I love fast food. There's a, they have a spicy crispy chicken sandwich that's supposed to be Jesus Christ. Better than Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be better than Chick-fil-A. I've never eaten it either. That's so. okay. They're great. They're, it's, it's imagine a delicious chicken sandwich, uh-huh. and then imagine somebody going, you think that's good? <laughs> you should try this thing at Popeye's, motherfucker. <laughs> and so, and people are rushing on them, and now you can't get them. They're sold out at locations of every, everywhere. For I real. Mean, it'll, For I mean, real. It, it'll go away. It's, it's a, it's, there's some sort of weird mania going on. <laughs> but what if it turns into the purge? What if people start freaking out about about the chicken sandwiches. Yeah. I did see a line at a Popeye's. I was driving the one up on, on Hollywood and Coenga. No, I was driving up in La Brea down by the freeway, yeah. by the ten. Yeah, that Popeye's. I know that Popeye's. Yeah. I know all. I know where all the pop. You didn't have to Google it. You could ask okay. your friend Brendan. I know you know where they all are. You know what's really great at the Popeye's? <laughs> the biscuits, the spinach, the spinach. Really? Yeah. yeah. I used to love their red think. beans and rice. In all seriousness, I used to love their red beans and rice oh, until yeah. I realized that it was pure MSG. It's not oh, rice. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. beans. It's the- just MSG shaped like rice <laughs> and beans. Like, yeah, it gives you that weird, <laughs> weird, bright headache. Oh, my God. There was a Popeye's in uh, San Francisco down the street from my apartment when I lived up there in the 90s, and I would just eat at Popeye's. When I had money, I would go to Popeye's. <laughs> and uh, I was like, holy shit. And then I would just get, like, get that, just that bright white headache. Yeah. And then it would burn off. I knew it would burn off, oh, but just like so much sodium, it's, so much sodium. It, that, the one one time I had like two servings of red beans and rice, and I had almost had like a brain aneurysm because yeah. it was so it was so like, fucked up. Jesus Christ! Especially oh, because beating like a rat. Oh, my heart. <laughs> Who's this? It's not my line. That's the line I always think about whenever I think about somebody eating too much salt. Oh, I, my heart's beating like a rat. <laughs> It's got to be Scottish or Irish. I, I, my, my other mistake was I bought those red beans and rice from the Popeyes on Hollywood and Cahuenga, which is not really a Popeyes. I think that's a portal to the fifth plane of hell. Yeah, I oh think yeah. it's like Louisiana it's like, kitchen. Yeah. My balls. Yeah. yeah. It's really sketchy. Sketch. It's always been sanctuary in there. I feel like if you're running from the devil and you can make it inside there, you're okay, yeah. right? You're among friends. <laughs> you're among friends. You're one of us. Well, I feel like they they're selling coke or meth or something from the counter. Like if you know how to order from the special menu at at Hollywood and Coenga, you'll get you'll get an eight ball. I got an AK forty seven. This is so good. In 1981, Saxon released their fourth album. And that was Denim and Leather. Yeah. And uh, they dedicated that album to their fan base. The album is still popular today. And the title track, Denim and Leather, which we heard at the opening of this dumb show, is regarded as a metal anthem. The album also featured other fan favorites like Princess of the Night, this one, Never Surrender, and And the Band Played On. These are all UK top 20 hits. Denim and Leather went gold in several European countries, including the UK, obviously. By this time, the band was seen as one of the leaders of the new wave of British heavy metal movement, along with future greats Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, yada, 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 yada. It's all going to come to a crashing end very soon for Saxon, but I mean, they still tour, but the glory era is about to come to an end. What's the original member content? Currently, it's always the lead singer Biff Byford. He's sure, this, this big, tall, charismatic. He made him in a lab, <laughs> heavy <laughs> they, metal lab. They did, and uh, and then there's two other guys: well, a guitar player and the drummer. 
Okay, but they've had a they've had a rotating cast, but they've had a rotating cast of of people for like all these bands. Yeah, forever. Starting around this area when people start to quit, then two guys from the band left and tried to do it on their own. You know, tried to be yeah. Saxon without Biff on lead vocals. It's just that mess. I, you know, we, Rich and I joke all the time about the scene of bands at the Canyon in Agora Hills. Oh, yeah. You know, where you could go see Jefferson Starship. Sure. There's nobody from the classic era of Jefferson Starship. I saw Todd Rundgren there, and it was a different was, guy playing Todd <laughs> yeah. Rundgren. How was his hello, it's me? It was, it was, fa- he was fantastic. I had never seen him, and I loved Todd Rundgren. He was at the King Club? I have, I have issues with Todd Rundgren, but I loved him Tell live. Me, what are your issues? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a uh, Died in the Wool XTC fan. Okay. And I heard the Skylarking demos before I heard Skylarking. And I heard, uh, 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 I didn't like what he had did, done to Skylarking. Because I always preferred. Did he overproduce it? Yeah, well, I love it now because they hated it too, right? They hated it too, and and I and I listened to what Todd said, and I agree. I agree with both sides. I'm very both sidesy about the, these things, uh, um, but I I felt that it was. I always liked the the simple angular attack of XTC from Drums and Wires, yeah, and uh, and Black Sea, where it was just like, where it was just guitars and amps and and very, just a guy in a stone room, yeah. And uh, and and as much as I and I I still love XTC, but that's that's when I really love it. That's when I really like that stuff. And I thought that Todd, I thought that from the demos that it was going to go in this real sort of simple, very simple, uh, uh, very primitive direction, and it went super produced. And I get yeah. I drove up to New York City from my parents' house where I lived. I was doing comedy, and I drove up with my girlfriend Beth. And we went to Bleecker Bob's yeah. in in the village, and uh, uh, and tried to get it, and he didn't the have it. unproduced or the the no the, the when it was released right, right, the day right, right. it was released okay. they didn't have it, and so I had to go to the tower. So I had to spend a night in New York and go to Tower to get Skylarking, and then I listened to it in her sister's dorm room at Bryn Mawr. Wow, that's that is real Pennsylvania, Bryn Mawr College. Yeah, and I loved XTC so much. Well, they're an incredible band. Yeah. Did they ever release the their preferred version of Skylarking? No, I don't think they did. I think uh, I think they just sort of walked away from it or got a, got further away from it and said fuck it. I think they've made peace with it. I love it. I think it's great. It's a it's a seminal but, record from yeah. that period of time. Yeah, but I I'd heard these demos and the demos were just like just so simple and 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 easy. Yeah. And it was uh, uh, just so much so glossy. Yeah. And you know, it's it, it depends on how glossy things are. Sometimes I like glossy, sometimes I don't. I love I loved XTC because full, full disclosure, I did transition out of metal. By the time eighty five, eighty six rolls around and metal is cheesing out, that's when I started to get into the replacements and Husker Du yeah. and Sonic Youth and Dinosaur. And I went to college in Chicago, and it was easy to see all those bands in Chicago. All the post punk bands came to Chicago. So sure, uh, that's I I left. Did you see Big Black? I did see Big Black because one of the guys. Wow. Yeah, I did see Big Black because um, Steve Albini went to Northwestern. Yeah, and I knew people that knew him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Just terrible radio. Was it right loud? There. It was loud. It was just uh, the whole time. I love loud. I still have super that. buzzy, like like bright buzzy. Yeah, high treble buzzy. Well, they were they were sometimes so that can get a huge. Picky. They were so huge in Chicago yeah, for that scene. Like they were like exalted gods. I don't even think he was producing people yet. 
Yeah. But they, they didn't play that much. I mean, that wasn't a band that like, toured all the time, but I saw Urge Overkill very early like, oh, wow. when they first started. And, and all those bands, all the post-punk bands came Loud? It's got to be Loud. I love Loud. Oh, yeah. They're Absolutely. Loud. Good. Yeah, man. Good, good. All right, just checking. Yeah. All right, I think we're done. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not, we're not done. Oh, we're not done. We haven't even gotten to the uh, the X in Saxon. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know this song? <laughs> of course he does. Yeah, it's this, another anthem. This is <laughs> just just make up a just name. Just make up a name. It's the Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks. <laughs> Think real metal and just make up the title. You're probably going to be right. uh, uh, Spike through my mom. (laughs) (laughs) He's thinking. (laughs) Here it comes. It's called drive through. (laughs) You give me an order. This is Power and the Glory. Oh, okay. From the Power and the Glory album. Well, there's a lot of power and glory in the drive-thru, too. Those people, you, they control you. You have to drive up to their window. You have to beg for, beg for them to listen to you and then give you what you want. And you have to pull up to their window and do whatever they say. Give that, them money. The Popeyes on uh, LeBron and, and the 10 has a drive-thru. Holy shit. Yes, okay. it does. I think the one in Hollywood and Verdugo Way has a drive-thru, too. Okay. I, I only eat drive-thru food. Like, that's my role. Yeah, I don't like getting out unless I have to. <laughs> Isn't it weird? Like, have you ever found yourself in a Jack in the Box and you think, like, how the fuck did I end up inside yeah. a Jack in the Box? Yeah, I didn't want to be in here. <laughs> the whole point, of, the whole point was that I didn't want to come in here. You should, you should save this for your uh, fast food podcast. Yeah. Tacos, tacos, tacos. Where you listen yeah. to heavy metal and talk about fast food. <laughs> yeah, it's called slow food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go down Pico Boulevard and do a review of all the places between Santa Monica and downtown. Let's start with the... I'm going to go to the cave room of Don Antonio. (laughs) 1983's Power and the Glory became Saxon's highest selling album to that date and saw the band cement themselves as the leading metal act in Europe. One of the leading acts. The band became a major act in the U.S. as the album sold more than 15,000 copies in L.A. alone. Oh my God. Power and the Glory sold 15,000 copies here in Los Angeles. That explains what's (laughs) bleeding up from my neighbor's room. They continued touring and recording through the 80s and into the 90s, even though this sort of metal kind of died a violent death by the time that Nirvana rolled around. Oh, dude. I was I lived in Baltimore. Can I can I can I bore you with a please a, do a version? Do it. Uh, I had uh, I had listened to Doolittle was a huge key for me. A huge a giant just, record. For giant me. record. For giant. Me. And uh, uh, I don't want to tell my Doolittle story, but I remember that I loved the Pixies so much that I that when I heard Doolittle the next day, I drove all over Baltimore to every record store I knew and try and I sc- rolled nickels yeah. to get money to buy whatever I could find from the Pixies. Yep. And uh, uh, but everybody said, "Hey, there's this new band called Nirvana, and they're better than the Pixies, man." I was like, "No way, no way, man, no way, no way, they're better than the Pixies." And I was at this club. Uh, uh, I want to say it's Max's on Max's in Fells Point, and it was a it was like a place where I've seen band, like Robin Hitchcock. I saw Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians there, and there, it was like a great place and a cool area. They would shoot Homicide there. We, I saw Yafit Kodo, who had fucking hands like catcher's mitts, huge dude. 
And uh, but I was in this club and it was packed. It was like a dance night. I was there with a bunch of other comics or something, and uh, and my girlfriend and the and the the video was playing and the entire place like no shit erupted. People jumping up and down and screaming and bouncing. Wow. I was like, oh, this is nirvana wow that's what i've been hearing about and it was like oh this is it's not better than it's different but it's really good and i liked it i but it was it was like oh it's all different now i lived that i told that was that i was right in the pocket for that and i had friends who were in bands and i had a friend who was in a band on twin tone records so he was our conduit for like hey this band just decided to be a band so get ready here they are so i got to see i saw nirvana I mean, or way before. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I that saw him on massive, massive. I saw massive. New Year's Eve '94. Wow. At the Oakland Coliseum, I with, uh, with Butthole Surfers and Choke Bore, and Bobcat was the host. Bobcat Goldthwait was the host at of the, the show. Coliseum. Jesus Christ. It was insane. Hey, wow. everybody. Next day, hey, you ever try to? Hey, come on, you guys. Oh, fuck you. Here's a Butthole Surfer. <laughs> <laughs> and, then at, and then at midnight, when when midnight came in, because he was friends with Kurt. And those guys. Oh, okay. And, that and, makes sense. Uh, at midnight, when it was New Year's, he came down from the rafters wearing the baby New Year sash and diaper. Wow. <laughs> on a rope. And wow. like he started swinging into the amps. It was bad. But it was uh, fucking great. I was a But pe- I'm glad I saw Nirvana. They were fucking great. They live. were fucking amazing. I mean, and it was, and I'm not saying that. I was like, oh, they were great. They were fucking great. They were fucking great. Great band. I was a PA for MTV Brazil. <laughs> when they they came to Los wow. Angeles for the 1992 or 93 Music Awards that was at Poly Pavilion, and my job was to just drive them around. Okay, they rented a van. I was the driver. I drove them between the hotel, the Sofitel, the Mimizan at uh, Beverly and La Cienega to Westwood and back all day, every day for a full week. And on the final day, the day of the show. I was so drunk from the night before after work <laughs> that I slept in. And forgot to pick them up. So I got fired on the spot. Okay. But they were stuck in a lurch because no one else could drive the van. So they hired me back. I drove them to the show. And then I just disappeared. Because yeah. I was like, fuck these people. Yeah, of course. Because I'm here with, it was Nirvana. It was Pearl Jam. It was the Black Crows. It was Def Leppard. So I got fired again, even though I had technically quit during the show. Because apparently people were on the walkie-talkies going, where's that kid? Where's that kid? But I was as close as I could possibly get to the front of the stage to watch all those bands. Wow. Yeah, that was an amazing night. Can I bore you again with another Mad TV story? Please. Uh, When It must have been in 96, 7, something like that. Kiss was doing our Halloween episode, and I wrote the whole episode. Oh, shit. So I got to work with those guys for a week. They came in for rehearsals. Gene and Paul? Gene and Paul and Ace and Peter. Oh, shit. It was the original Beatles. Oh, shit. And uh, uh, I have a picture with them when they're in full regalia, and they're like superheroes. They're like monsters when they're in full costume. They're huge. I was in the Kiss Army, so this is very big for me. It was Yeah, it was enormous. Uh, And they were... I knew that... I don't want to talk shit about Gene... And I and I just know that that Ace was very very nice, and but without makeup, I just the damage that the makeup does, it just looked like a bowl of cereal. You <laughs> uh, mean his face? Yeah, and, and uh, Ace is weathered. I think Ace, we can say that lovingly. Ace is very weathered, very weathered. <laughs> hey, and, I've been and, around the block. Yeah, oh yeah, my God, I don't, I, I can't believe it. My hotel has a bed. <laughs> and uh. 
Peter, Chris, and I became friends. He was very, very cool. Oh, and uh, uh, and Paul was very cool and very friendly. And I would just I wouldn't go, wouldn't talk to him or anything. But I'm a huge guitar guy. I collect guitars. So mm-hmm. I, I and I had this super rare Ampeg bass, called a Devil bass, and it was. Uh, uh, and I know that that they had an Ampeg dealership, not a dealership, a sponsorship, whatever. And uh, and like a dumb fanboy move, I take my bass in for Gene to see because he's the devil he's fucking devil and this is the legendary this is a museum piece devil bass wow and it's black and he's like he looks at it look at it well, it's not a neck through I'm like oh for fuck's oh, sake oh god and then I hear Paul Stanley across the, the studio go is that a devil bass <laughs> and then he comes over and goes oh my god and he starts playing and he he, he loves it and he loves it and, he's, and it makes up for for Gene giving a shit about it because I didn't have tits if I would have had tits he would have loved it yeah uh, and then but, he would have tried to, at the minimum, make out with you. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> minimum. I, I would be Mrs. I would. I'd be Shannon right now. Yeah. Uh, and then Paul comes over and he goes, "This is great. You like guitars? Let me show you something." And he goes over and he pulls over because Ace is nowhere to be found. He gets Ace's Les Paul out of out of the case. And he goes, "Check it out!" And I'm looking. I'm like, "This is fantastic." He goes, "Look at the serial number, motherfucker." And it's like oh 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 one. Wow! Oh my God, this, this is so cool. This wow. is guitar nerd shit. Wow! Uh, but I became very, I became friends with Peter Chris, who's a very good guy. That's fantastic. Now, did they spend any time in the writers' room? The members of Kiss? No, they did. They did not. They would. I think they would. We would send I them a pitch. <laughs> yeah. Hey, how about? Uh, I think my entrance is a little early on this one. I think I should come up from behind the couch. Business smoke rolls out. Uh, we would send them scripts and they would approve or disapprove stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I did do a thing because it was Halloween. I had them come back and they all had uh, uh, Halloween bags. And the one goes, uh, I, got a, I got a Zagnut. What'd you get? And then uh, uh, I got uh, Three Musketeers. What'd you get? And then great, Gene Simmons goes, uh, I got Grape Zots. What'd you get? And then Peter Chris goes, I got a rock. It was a dumb Charlie Brown joke. And then he takes a, and then he takes a bite of the rock. We made an apple look like a rock. He goes, I like rock. It's the only, the only thing that I, that I really liked about that show that I got. It. But, uh, You've collaborated with Kiss. Yeah. You That's know, a good life. You know what? I think I've told the story on a different podcast, and I, I don't want to repeat myself, but... The when There's the three hundred thousand podcasts yeah, it, in the it, city of Los Angeles alone, I, yeah, that anyone past my brother Ryan <laughs> and my brother Liam will find this. Hopefully, they will. But well, you know, here's go, a, go for it. Here's a here's a favorite, favorite B side you might know from my earlier works. <laughs> uh, at the end of at the end of that week, and this is sort of this is sort of bittersweet. At the end of that week, uh. uh they they told everybody because people showed up to see Kiss. Everybody knew it was a big tape night. They're doing all the live stuff, and then we're going to tie it together with all the stuff that we had taped that week. And so people were showing up, coming out of the woodwork, trying to get in to see Kiss. And they put out this edict at the top of the show, and they said, "Listen, if you have anything you want to sign, if you have any scripts or records or tapes, anything you want signed, just leave it in this pile. They are very good about it. They'll sign everything. Mm-hmm. They will." pose for you with pictures they'll meet and greet everybody they're very good about all their fans uh but just leave your stuff here so at the end of the night i'm hanging out i'm saying goodbye to peter chris and he's signing stuff at this table scripts and copies of albums and cds and everything well, it was at a good time this was a lot of fun hey, it's a blast. 
and uh, and then he picks up the album Creatures of the Night. Yep. And he goes, oh, I'm not even on this one. <laughs> and he, and he sort of and he turns it over, and I forget what the drummer's name is. Forgive me for not knowing who. Eric Carr. Eric Carr. Yeah. And he said, uh, he said, Eric Carr uh, died of cancer. God rest his soul. And he signs it, Peter Chris. And he said, they don't know I'm just a drummer. And he puts it back on the pile. And it was so beautifully, beautifully sad. Ode to a drummer. I'm just, I'm, they don't know I'm just a drummer. They won't, they won't even notice that I'm Peter Chris and I signed Eric Carr's picture. And uh, it was so beautiful. But part of me was like, I should grab that because he just, Peter Chris's autograph on Eric Carr's picture has got to be worth what 30 bucks on ebay that's someplace? ebayable are you yeah. kidding me you I'm, take that to amoeba yeah. right now i would i would never <laughs> never do that but it was a it was a uh it was a beautiful moment anyway that was my beautiful ki- beautiful kiss moment i think it would be awesome if he would have signed it to eric Carr. <laughs> that's right that's where i thought it was going that's where i thought it was going <laughs> every morning when i walked into the mad tv hey, why don't you just sign it to eric Carr? <laughs> Uh, Howie Mandel. <laughs> wow, that's great. Howie Mandel's playing drums for Kiss. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a couple Saxon notes. Okay, it's time for some Saxon notes. I Just a couple it. little notes. They're still touring. They're on tour in the UK right now. And how many albums do these guys have now? They they probably have like twenty plus records because they they never stopped releasing stuff but you're releasing those records to the same nine thousand guys around the globe yeah and they but they, they don't do like castle donnington gigs anymore they do, do they oh do, they always play do, oh saxons they always play Wacken, the big metal festival in germany and so the, so they the, did castle donnington because that actually was one of the things that broke them because they played donnington in the early 80s okay they were one of the headliners on that okay show. okay so yeah so they they do continue so they, the tour yeah. all right they would actually play the house of blues all the time when that was still open on sunset oh right i do remember that yeah i, oh, I missed that place i saw some great i saw johnny cash there for fuck 22 records. holy and the, shit and the, and the cramps did you really you and saw john you saw johnny cash at yeah the house and of stiff blues? little fingers God. i saw great bands at the at english beat i saw frank black i saw great shows at the at uh uh, um, House of Blues House, on House Sun- of Blues. Sorry, I was pain in the ass to get to, but once you're inside, awesome. Great, a great venue to see. Very professional venue. How was Johnny like, Cash at the House of Blues? Holy shit, he was great. I, and you know what? It was after he came back after he found out that he didn't have that thing that he thought he had. Right. But he was still pretty frail, and uh, he would sing like sing two, three songs, and then he would go off stage, and then like Rose would come out, and she uh, she'd sing some songs. His whole family would back him up, and he, he played all the hits. I wish that I would have. Very I wish I would have had vivid. my shit together back then because I only came to Johnny Cash about two years ago, and That's now great. I'm obsessed with him, and I'm obsessed with June Carter Cash. So obsessed that I went to see Roseanne Cash at, at Cal State Northridge a couple yeah. months ago. You got to. You got to. My, you so know, amazing. My dad was a, was a country music guy. Like we would watch Hee Haw all the but time. But like, but he George was, Jones, George and, Jones, right. like older, much Which older I love. country. Like yeah. you know, like on the edge of western. Yeah. And uh, uh, but all that like grown up like Vitalis country music guys. You know? Yeah. And uh, Johnny was in there, definitely in there. Oh fuck yeah! Did you guys? So. Did you do you remember having the Porter Wagoner show on in York, yeah, PA back in the day? Yeah. So now I to relax at night, I will like go down the rabbit hole of a band or two on YouTube, 
And so my love of Johnny Cash took me to Porter Wagner and Dolly yeah. Parton. They've got all this fucking incredible footage Dolly's online great. of them singing together when she's a baby. I mean, Jesus. so fucking awesome. Yeah. I, my, uh, I was the happy hour disc jockey at Denim and Diamonds in Santa Monica from 1992 to 1993. Okay. Uh, and also I did Ladies Night. It was a great gig, but I had to play top 40 country sprinkled with classic country. During the line dance craze. That was the job. Oh, okay. That was one of the shitty, the shitty jobs I've had in LA. Achy breaky. The, literally at the apex of the achy breaky oh, thing. I had to play that song, no joke, like three times a night. Uh, they wanted to do that line dance every hour during prime time of Denim and Diamonds on a Thursday night. Uh, Patton and Lord Corette and I, another comedian, Lord Corette, legendary mm. comic. Yeah. We were doing Wichita. Oh, fuck in 1991 oh, shit. before we moved to San Francisco. It was the height of the Garth Brooks thing. Yeah. And we had finished the show for the night. It was very, very late. It was like a Friday. I think it was Friday. So it was like the second show was over and it's, we're about to hit bar closing time or whatever, but we went to this giant Denny's and we go in and every adult male and most of the adult women had the black Garth Brooks hat on because Garth Brooks was the thing to be. And they all had the, they all had the hat and we walked in. It was me and Patton and Lord right. Correct. Three we Martians. Like, yeah. Three fuck. Yeah. Martians walking. Beep, 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 beep. Hey, the way outs are here and everybody, it was like the record scratch piano yep. stops playing yep. thing. Everybody, all these black hats look at us when we walk into this Denny's. Should we kill him? Yeah, it's like we'll kill him and eat him. <laughs> and then you know, you know who we saw in Wichita the next night? Fucking Bo Diddley. Oh, that was great. Nice. We went to see him play at yeah, the outs- did. at the outskirts of town by the rendering plant <laughs> with a pickup <laughs> with a pickup band, and everybody in the pickup band looked like those mini bike dudes in the yeah. Guinness Book of World Records. They're just big fat what? dudes in slacks. A pickup band. They were like a local band that oh. opened for him. Oh, okay, and they just went. They just went through the. They were great. They were fucking great. Wow. And just these local guys, and then Bo Dudley goes out in his Hager slacks. You better pack a lunch, baby. Maybe I'm going to work your ass overtime. <laughs> and then just, just Bo Dudley for two hours. Wow. That was great. That's anyway, awesome. That was, that was Wichita 91. Rock Talk. Rock yeah. Talk with Blanket Patch. Yeah. I like it. It's fun. I love it. Um, I've seen some great shows. I'm, I've been very, very fortunate and very lucky in my life to see great shows. Uh, me, me too. I, I, I had strict parents, but I was allowed to go to basically any show I wanted to. So it's, a, it's kind of a miracle. Yeah. My that's what I did. My parents didn't let me go see The Clash. Because uh, that would have been City, in, City in, Island in Harrisburg. They played City. They let me go see oh. Billy Idol there. That was my first big concert. Holy shit! But they didn't let me go see The Clash. The Clash played in Harrisburg. Yeah, at City Island. Damn. Yeah. Wow. And then, but I went to Philadelphia in '83. I saw in Philadelphia at uh, JFK. I saw The Police were yep. the headliner. Fuck yeah! And the openers were uh, REM, Joan Jett, REM, Madness, and Joan Jett. And Fantastic. then the Police. It was the fucking amazing. Mike Stipe still had his hair. Mike. Yeah. And uh, it was their first stadium show. It was not not good. In, in the old shitty JFK. Yeah. Where they had Live Aid. Yeah. And it was like people were passing out from heat stroke. It was 106. Yeah. And Madness was fantastic. And Joan Jett was transcendent. I saw Joan Jett at the Price is Right rap party a few months ago. I'm friends with, wait, wait, from, I'm friends wait, with wait, Drew. Wait, I'm friends wait, with wait. Drew. And he okay. always has a cool rap party thing. So Joan Jett. 
Joan Jett. just played the Price is Right. The rap, Price is Right rap, rap party. party. Yeah, for this current season of Price is Right. Current Making reason. money, man. <laughs> Holy yeah, shit. and it was fucking. Well, it was it, fucking great. Drew Carey can cut the check for Joan Jett. Oh yeah, I've seen I've seen great shows with at Drew's because I've been friends with Drew's for, with, with Drew for years. Right, and uh. Uh, I've seen in Barker Hanger. I saw Casey and the Sunshine Band. Yeah, he did. And, uh, <laughs> and Frank Sinatra Jr. in a full orchestra. Oh, wow. It was br- brilliant. Wow. And, uh, and then Joan Jett was the last one. And she, she came out with his side smile on her face and just played all her hits. It was fantastic. Played a bunch of runaway stuff. She played a full show. Full show. Fuck yeah. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, I, I, I was in this burlesque group called Velvet Hammer back at the turn of the century. Th- yeah. That became Lucha Vavoom, which I, I remember. I remember. And uh, we did a Velvet Hammer did the burlesque at this private party over at, for, um, uh, for Warner Brothers at the Warner Brothers lot. They would throw this giant. I'm sorry if I'm sidetracking it. No, to be this is amazing. Sassy, no, but they threw this giant party. It was fucking insane. It was for international something. So everybody was flown in, and the entire studio was decorated like the '50s, like Back to the Future '50s. And you know how you've been on that lot, right? Uh huh. So it's the Back to the Future lot, and it's all they've hired. Hundreds of extras. There's 50s cars. There's 50s marching bands walking around. There's girls in poodle skirts with poodles. There's kids wearing like bibbed overalls and freckles. There's guys cooking out in backyards. And they're having like big crazy party and stuff. And uh, uh, we were on this side alley and we were doing this burlesque show next to these uh, Rat Pack impersonators that were sitting in a giant martini glass. And we would do the burlesque and I would host it. Right. So, and then at, at the end of this party, this whole 50s thing, there's explosions everywhere and these flying saucers inflate and float up like Mars attacks looking. Flying saucers appear. It was insane. And then one of them lands and it opens up and all these monkeys in spacesuits run out what? and run everywhere. Wait. These fucking monkeys in space. Real monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go, ladies and gentlemen, Blondie. And then fucking Blondie comes out of this other saucer. And I was waiting for the show. I knew there was going to be some secret show. And I was right up front. Wow. And it was fucking Blondie comes out and just, just works the hits for an hour and a half. It was insane. LA is the best. It is really is. It really is the best. Yeah, that we was get a to see show some to amazing shit. Yeah, and that was just something they did for their international agents or whatever. <laughs> right. But it was like up until then, it was two hours of walking around, and there's like it's like being in the fifties. Right. Jesus. Set decoration and stuff. That's awesome. Is there a Lucha Vavoom coming up as we wrap this thing uh, up? We just, we, wrap? we just did one. We're, uh, the next one will be for Halloween. It'll be the, the week of Halloween, probably Wednesday, Thursday. How would you describe Lucha for people who don't know Lucha? Because I've gone many, many times. It's, uh, it is uh, real Lucha, it's real Lucha Libre, Mexican wrestling. Yeah. And then between the matches, there's a, a delicate burlesque act that will blow your mind off. Let me ask you something before I forget. How can I possibly gets the dj one night the dj played this incredible mix of 60s oh, rock 60s and garage pop, but, all in but Mexico, all in spanish do you know what there's a uh you know nuggets of course of course there's i a, have that there's a nuggets mix it's all spanish and it's all those okay so i need to get that you gotta that, get it that's what i wanted because i remember i remember it was at the mine and i was like oh, oh, please sell this how do i how do i get this yeah it's all fantastic yeah and it's it's like and it's uh, it's like actual studio remakes these actual bands that 
play it for real. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, well, really, really good. Where else can people see you these days? Uh, well, you can see me uh, doing Lucha Vavoom. You can see me uh, doing stand-up here and there. You can listen to me doing uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons on the Nerd Poker podcast. That's right. That's a big with one. Brian Posehn, yeah, another yeah. metalhead. Yep. Uh, I'm currently a druid named Dr. Uid. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, doing pretty good. You're alive. Yeah, we just fought, <laughs> fought some liches last week. Oh, fuck, yeah. And we've been playing for oh, years good. and years and years. Yeah. And now it's everybody playing d I was playing D&D back when I used to get get punched in the stomach for it. I was afraid of <laughs> d and I've said this before because in Pittsburgh, I vaguely remember in like 1978, 79, there being a news story about college kids playing live D&D near State College, Pennsylvania. Oh, no. And some kid killed another kid with a sword because they were uh, on acid playing live D&D. Yeah. So I was afraid of the woods because I thought like, well, there are college kids in the woods. Yeah. Blame D&D. Don't blame the acid <laughs> or the sword. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it really is a it really is a, a, a gateway to talking to people. Dungeons and Dragons. Keep your kids away from any sort of social function. My both Ryan and Liam Smith were huge D and D guys. We had all the cool shit. They had they it. had all the cool shit. I play I play it every week for year, awesome. for years now. I played it as an adult male. That's awesome. As an adult male, it's super yeah. fun. Yeah, I lead a charmed life. Hey, by the way, Saxon sold twenty three million records in their career. So they have some money somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> they do have some money somewhere, or they have had some money. I hate to find out would be the money guy but i'm always interested in like these guys that do it for so long is it worth it that's all you do if you're saxon you're still playing if you're biff bifford 2019 you're still like touring around the uk and germany that's a how, great life how are the reviews on the new stuff do people still like it or are they still vital do you think i don't think anyone gives a shit about new stuff i think they just it's let just, the bands they placate the bands them. right they revere them thank god they're still around sure did you learn anything today blake I did. What'd you learn? Uh, uh, I learned that uh, that Saxon's hot uh, biggest selling album came out the year I graduated. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So this was, so I, I, so I, I, much. I really enjoy talking with you. This okay. is a, a delightful conversation. Yeah, you're the best. I'm Yo, so you're grateful. The okay. You're the best. Infinity. <laughs>